Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to The World in 10, the big news stories of the day explained and analysed by The Times of London with me, Lou Newton and Toby Gillies. Today we've analysis from Israel as it contemplates a second ground invasion, this time to the north where Hezbollah lurks in Lebanon. From the very start of the war in the Middle East, one of the major concerns for the rest of the world has been Iran getting involved. People have used the term third world war if that were to happen. And the way it might begin would be if Hezbollah, the Iranian-backed political group and militia force based in the south of Lebanon, were to get involved. And today that looks a step closer. It's being reported by The Times' foreign correspondent, Richard Spencer, who's been on the Israeli-Lebanese border for the last week, where tensions continue to rise. The two sides have been exchanging artillery and missile fire since the start of the war in Gaza in early October. But as Richard explains, hopes that had ceased in due course now look increasingly unlikely. Right at the beginning of the war, this was the huge concern, was was that this war would escalate from Gaza to a regional conflict. And the first step with that would be a conflict between Hezbollah and Israel. But Hassan Nasrallah, the the Hezbollah leader, said, you know, he wasn't going to escalate the war himself unless Israel provoked him. So I think we all thought, oh, well, that's that. There'll be some to and fro shelling. And then at the end of the Gaza war, there'll be a ceasefire on that front, too. But Israel has been reconsidering in the last few days and 86,000 people along the border strip have evacuated because of the fear of these uh, Hezbollah mortar attacks and artillery attacks. Hezbollah is much stronger than than Hamas. So under a UN resolution, there are supposed to be no armed groups like Hezbollah south of the Litani River in in Lebanon, in that border strip. So Israel is now saying, OK, Hezbollah has to withdraw to the Litani River, create a buffer zone, or we will invade and do it for you. And And if Israel invades southern Lebanon. That is a very heavy new front. Hezbollah is a much more powerful enemy. That's going to be an even bigger war in in all likelihood, not only Hezbollah areas, but quite a lot of Lebanon will be very badly affected. And of course, it's Iran that provides Hezbollah with much of its weaponry. Plenty of ifs here, but if Israel expands its fight to that group too, and if Iran responds, then the West's reaction will determine just how far reaching the consequences will be. They will. In the meantime, Israel, or a group linked with it, we're not quite sure yet, has claimed to have launched a cyber attack on Iran, suggesting it's disabled petrol and diesel pumps throughout the country. State media there has admitted that an estimated 70% of the nation's pumps were out of action. The group, called Gonieshka Duranda, says the attack is 
and this is a quote, in response to the aggression of the Islamic Republic and its proxies in the region. And they have previously attacked Iranian steel companies as well. What's interesting here is that nobody's ever known who's behind the group. But today there are hints in Israeli newspapers that it was some sort of military operation, which again would be a ramping up of hostilities between the two nations. Yeah, it is a risky move by Israel if the attack is backed by government, given the current flow of the tide from the West where increasingly there are calls for a ceasefire in Gaza, including from the UK and France, while US Defence Secretary Lloyd Austin has now arrived in the region to persuade Benjamin Netanyahu to work harder to avoid civilian casualties and also to end the ground operation as soon as possible. We now know that Friends star Matthew Perry died after an accidental ketamine overdose. And coincidentally, The Times had already been looking at the effects of the drug before his death as part of a new investigation. What they found is extremely alarming. There seems to be more and more people with severe bladder issues. One user's bladder shrunk to the size of a four-year-old's because of their addiction. And there's also people who've become so incontinent from their ketamine use that they have to wear pads to work, they wet their beds and they have to keep a bottle close by throughout the night which they fill with blood-soaked urine. So it's a difficult read but it's an important piece of journalism and you can read it now on The Times' website. Sometimes, Lou, you head to the Times editorial meeting in the morning, don't you? And a story grabs you for its sheer madness. Mm. But then you dig a little deeper and you realise that that's just a small element in a far more serious, larger picture. This next story is one of those. Yeah, they've got him. You can just hear there, can't you? So, believe it or not, that's the sound of cars driving through a small shopping district of Queensland as a group of wildlife experts capture a crocodile. Yes, you heard right, a croc in a shopping district. Yep, that grabbed our attention too. But really, it's part of a much bigger and more terrifying predicament for the Australian state, which has been inundated by flooding after a recent tropical cyclone caused unforecasted rainfall. The pictures are scary. Major landslips and flooding cutting the city of Cairns in two and planes literally half submerged by water. And then there's the croc with the threat of more to come. Yeah, this crocodile had literally been washed into town and came out of a stormwater drain. And the Times' correspondent in Australia, Bernard Lagan, told The World in 10 the impact of this rain has caused a huge row between politicians and the local forecasters who missed what was on the way. The mayor of Cairns uh, is very cross. He believes part of the reason that the forecast was so off was because the Bureau of Meteorology have relocated most of their far north Queensland staff to Brisbane And he argues, therefore, they don't have staff on the ground anymore and are not as well across forecasting for that reason as they might be. The Premier of Queensland and the Albanese government are saying that's not so. They have very good forecasting resources for far north Queensland. But the event was a surprise in its intensity. It was not forecastable. They did forecast the rain, but they forecast about half the amount of rain that actually fell. Uh, so the uh, the argument is really over intensity rather than missing the event 
altogether. These storms are attributed almost entirely to, to the changing climate. We are seeing more and more of these, these uh, tropical cyclones coming across North Queensland in the last decade. A nightmare situation for the region, which has seen 400 people airlifted from an Aboriginal settlement that was cut off. And there's now a warning Cairns could lose drinking water as the issues just continue to get worse. So we may sometimes start thinking a story is one thing, but as you can tell, often it ends up at the whole opposite end of the scale in terms of its seriousness. Anyone who listens to The World in 10 on a regular basis knows I love a thinking-outside-the-box sports story, uh, and The Times does them brilliantly. We've spoken on the podcast before about athletics' new, or relatively new now, super shoes, which are helping athletes smash records, and even amateurs are battering their own personal bests. But did you know the key element of them was discovered almost by accident? The Times' chief sports correspondent, Matt Lawton, has been to visit Zote Foams, a 100-year-old South London firm which was founded by a man who'd been mentored in the US by Thomas Edison and is where this said accident happened. They'd actually been asked by a polymer supplier to make something for the medical industry. It didn't work out, but that research did reveal the special bouncy foam that Nike now uses to make its running shoes. Matt Lawton was allowed to take a camera and a microphone in and although they were carefully marshalled through the factory, his write-up and the full video of the tour is really worth a watch on thetimes.co.uk. There's some Nike material right there. Here you can see we've cut it into various sizes to probably to do some tests. Um, it won't go out like that, but that's you can see the, the, the energy recur- recovery on that. It's very good. It doesn't matter how much I press it and whatever, it bounces right back. So what we're doing is we've got a ball bearing that drops from a predetermined height uh, and we basically measure the rebound, so how, how high it goes back up and how many uh, iterations it goes for at a certain height. And we can measure you know, for any particular foam what that energy performance is. Zote Foam reckons the likes of Kelvin Kiptum, who broke the marathon world record in the Nike Alpha Fly Super Shoe, could still go faster as they develop the tech, which the piece reveals was ignored amazingly by sportswear manufacturers for two years before Nike agreed to test it. Oh, to be a fly on the wall who when Adidas realised they'd missed out. Right, you just keep geeking out on that. <laughs> I'll do the sign-off, shall I? Yeah, do it. Because we have run out of time, so thank you for taking 10 minutes to stay on top of the world with the help of the Times of London. See you tomorrow. Tomorrow. 